1: get it that is exactly what you want quoted as the expert the story headline the spin every week join us to talk about all things important to relating to the public your public Craft your image, promote your products, create expert status, become the buzz. Join us with the pros, PR 101, crisis management, media blitzing. It's all here on Cover Story. We're reserving a headline for you.
2: From the official radio network of the PRSA, WebmasterRadio.fm presents exclusive coverage of the annual Public Relations Society of America's International Conference.
0: The PRSA International Conference is the public relations industry's largest annual learning and networking event. Drawing thousands of public relations and communications professionals from all practice areas and levels of experience who want to learn, share, make industry connections, and ultimately advance their careers. This year's conference theme, Delivering Value, recognizes public relations role as a driver of business outcomes central to organizational success and the value that public relations professionals deliver to clients and their organizations. Conference attendees may choose from more than 80 professional development sessions led by 175 of the best and brightest industry thought leaders. Sessions focus on everything from innovative public relations strategies to effective tactics and techniques to industry best practices. More than one quarter of the conference learning sessions will focus on new and social media strategies, tactics, and measurement. Reflective of the economic times, the conference will feature several sessions on communicating during times of economic weakness, including managing financial communications in the age of restructuring, crisis, and litigation, keeping employees focused during tough economic times. When a recession hits, reputation matters more than ever. How to leverage technology to meet strategic communication goals during a downsized economy and how to build your public relations career in a challenging economy. This year's event will take place November 7th through 10th, 2009 at the San Diego Marriott Hotel and Marina. For more information or to register, please visit www.prsa.org forward slash IC2009.
2: Now, here is your host.
3: Hello, everyone. This is Brandi Shapiro-Babin. I have joining with me Scott Bowden, who is Senior Vice President and Director of Cause Marketing for MSNL, uh, as well as K. Bowman, who is Vice President, Public Relations, Corporate Communications at Sodexo, and Jane O'Donnell, Money Reporter of USA Today. And they will be speaking on the topic, A Focus on Social Values to Drive Business Results. Uh, 2009 is the year of values and activism, a new era of cause marketing. This hands-on workshop reveals a unique approach to cause 2.0 and teaches attendees how social activist marketing techniques can provide value, create social responsible brands, and deliver measurable business results in an increasingly competitive environment. Learn how to recognize the difference between marketing and social Responsibility, identifying the and aligning with a relevant cause, and mobilizing influencer relationships for maximum impact. Welcome, gang. Hi, Thank nice you. to be here. That's terrific. So, Scott, why is activist marketing important now?
4: Boy, that's a loaded question. I think, um, you know, it's interesting what we've been seeing happening over the last several years in terms of how companies and brands are really embracing social responsibility as a way to not only do things that are purposeful in the world, but also to do things that are profitable. And I think that stakeholders are becoming more important in terms of how companies are realizing what their responsibility in the world uh, consists of. And it's interesting that, you know, for many, companies would be getting involved in causes um, and if it was specifically related to cause marketing to really drive products and services using a cause as a reason to believe in the product or, or service. And I think that's still happening, but I think the larger and more interesting thing that's happening in the marketplace is companies are beginning to really listen to stakeholders, whether that's employees, whether that's governments, whether that's socially responsible investors, and really understanding what their core competencies as a company are to really be able to deliver societal change. So I think, you know, it's it's becoming more of a profitable and purposeful angle as opposed to um, just trying to sell, you know, a product. So it's 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 bigger. It's bigger for the companies. Does you know, does that make sense?
3: It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. So so Jaya, who are the most important audiences? Let's say, for you know, cause you know, for, for these sort of messages.
5: Well, and that's a great question, Brandy. It's a question we ask ourselves every single day to make sure that we're saying the right things to the right people. So audiences are, as Scott mentioned, pretty much all of a company's stakeholders. When you're talking about the the social values you hold as a company or the programs you have in place to live those values, you really want the most important stakeholders to to hear and know those, it is about um, listening to those audiences and understanding what they find valuable, and how does what your company say match those values? And then it is about reaching understanding with those audiences of what you as a company provide. Um, we we really believe at Sodexo that companies have a responsibility to the world, not not just to their stockholders and their stakeholders, but to make a difference for a a positive good in the world. So when it comes to the audiences, it is, as Scott mentioned, it's government, it's your customers, it's your clients, it's anybody who influences them. Um, It is also, from our perspective, really important to engage your internal stakeholders, which are employees.
3: Okay, so let, let's talk. All right, before we go into understanding and talking about your st- some of your stakeholders being employees, which I think is so important because it does, like, it empowers them. It allows them to really feel part of a company, which, you know, that's what fuels that company going forward on so many levels. How does one, I mean, I look at Scott and I see, you know, some of the stuff that he's done. I mean, truly, and, and, it's, and it's really when you stop and you think about it, it's things like, you know, look what you've done. Scott, look what you've done. <laughs> you know you'll play save lids to save lives campaign general mills box tops for education initiative these are things there's no downside to the company but you're reutilizing something that would have been tossed away that can now be generated into funds
4: yeah i think i mean that's that's you know it's insightful on your part i i you know it's I think General Mills certainly stands out as one company that has really figured out how to leverage cause as a way to really drive loyalty. And that's, you know, that's the case in the Box Tops for Education. And you're right about lids. You know, A simple idea as collecting lids and sending them in to raise money for breast cancer research is such a powerful idea, but it's also relevant to the audience. And, you know, if you if you're really look into who the consumer is for a YoPlay uh, brand, it's, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a woman who really cares about breast cancer and is someone who has been touched by uh, breast cancer in her life. So, you know, it can really be a powerful marketing driver for a brand to not only build loyalty, but also to drive sales in specific time periods of, of the year.
3: So Jade O'Donnell, money reporter of USA Today, what should marketers keep in mind when they're trying to atta- attract Gen Y through cause marketing?
6: Well, first, let me mention that um, uh, not only am I the retail reporter at USA Today, but the reason um, I'm talking about Gen Y is because I just finished a book called Gen Buy, B-U-Big-Y, how tweens, teens, and 20-somethings are revolutionizing retail. And unwittingly, um, I didn't even know that Scott had worked on the Box Tops campaign. That is a perfect example of um, one of the themes of our book, which is the incredible influence that these young people have over what their parents buy. Now, Box Tops is a great example in my house because I don't tend to be very brand loyal at the grocery store except for a few key things. (laughs) But my daughter wants me to buy those products because she has gotten caught up in the box top campaign, and she keeps after me to buy certain things. Um, Young people influence in this generation, Gen Y, which we're defining as about 9 to 30-year-olds, they are influencing uh, the the majority of household purchases, like 90% of the apparel purchases, which I often joke is sometimes a mistake when you see what middle-aged women wear these days, But (laughs) but the car purchases, the food purchases, where they go on vacation. So, you do really need to tap into gen y it 's only going to be about six years before their income surpass adults, and they really do want to connect with brands they um they're, They may not be you know you mentioned the tragedy that so many adults have seen these young people have been very very affected by enron and all this all the white collar crime, certainly the recession they 're mm-hmm. far more environmentally in tune, so they really do want to um get involved with a company support a company and, and as uh, Jaya was mentioning you know uh, it's so important for employees so as employees they're going to choose companies that they feel have a have a strong cause related um, approach to business
3: okay I mean is it is it the but it's the messaging which I guess goes back to you Scott how can brands leverage social media to connect with audiences because you know Gen Y, I mean, you know, how to to communicate in 140 characters or less?
4: I think that's a great question, especially and so relevant today. And and I think, to be honest with you, all the companies we're working with are still trying to figure that out, and we're trying to guide them. I think what's interesting is everyone's trying to figure out how to leverage social media to reach audiences in a more effective way. I think what Cause does is provide a really... Uh, authentic way to do that in terms of identifying you know audiences that that brands and companies really care about that that may really care about also a social issue that they're focused on. Mm-hmm. So there are many ways for you know brands are looking at in terms of leveraging it. But there's you know we're seeing a lot of trends in terms of driving donations for charity through um, social media channels and, and social communities online. Um, you know many nonprofits are now figuring out that they may be able to drive a lot more fundraising through a Facebook page as opposed to how they used to do it before. So, you know, brands um, as it relates to cause have such a powerful opportunity to really drive their social mission and their social values through social media channels. However, I'll caution, um, we're still all really trying to figure out the right ways to do it uh, and learning as we go. So nobody's really solved it, but I think there's a lot of tests that are happening right now, even with mobile phones and giving, Mm -hmm. you know, click-to-give campaigns. So I think (laughs) there are many ways to do it. I would just say, you know, proceed with caution and really use it as a test period or a test opportunity before really investing in it too much.
3: Good for you. And do you find, and and this question is really open to all of you, any of you, that because, you know, social media means, you know, so many different things to so many different people... (laughs) Everyone's out there having a potentially, let's say a lot of people are out there having a conversation about, you know, your respective brands, but it's in such, you know, small groups. Is it hard to kind of engage in those conversations or um, or drill down and find that group or is it easy to do?
6: Well, certainly you want to reach, this is Jane, you certainly want to reach. use Facebook as much as possible. I'm, I'm thinking mostly about Gen Y, but we all know that adults are using Gen I mean, excuse me, are using Facebook a lot too. Mm-hmm. But um, mm-hmm. the fan pages that the different brands and retailers have are a great opportunity to, to reach people and to reach young people and have them spread the word for you. I mean, it gives them another reason to, to like your brand. And the, the key with Gen Y, at least, is to, to um, make the cause something that kind of facilitates their. Self- Social status, so their connection to a brand, and they have a connection to a brand that can elevate their social status, but also a connection to a cause. So, and then that gives them a chance to, of course, kind of trumpet it on the web.
3: Which is, which excellent, extremely, extremely well said. Um, Jaya, is is employee engagement an important
5: factor in cause campaigns? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. What what we're finding is um you know, a company that has any any size of workforce. Sodexo has a huge workforce, 125,000 people in in North America alone. But when you consider that your employees can be your best brand ambassadors, and they can also become activists in whatever cause or whatever social programs that your company has. It really makes sense to engage them early. So what what seems to make sense is to engage your employees before you go externally, before you try to engage your customers and clients, for example. And then you have a built-in um just a huge number of people who are willing to spread the word for you. And so that engagement needs to come early, and there are lots of ways to do that um, through what could be considered more controlled channels since you're reaching out to them through your own company communication tools. But um, in terms of activism, I agree with you know what um, Jane and Scott have, have said about college students, especially, have become a really big external audience for us, and we're reaching them through a variety of of, of ways. One of those is through our employees, um, and we have found through through the work of the Sidexo Foundation related to hunger, for example, mm-hmm. that if we put some programs out there and let them get involved, let the college students get involved, mm-hmm. that's one of the best ways to engage them, and then they, they tell their story in social media, on Facebook, on all these different places, and we're attached to that, um, and we're doing a, a lot of good things. Um, we've done a lot of um, great lot of, um, campaigns recently to collect Food um, for food banks, for example, to address the issue of, of hunger in the nation, um, and there's a tremendous uh, number of tools that, as Scott said, we're we're still trying to figure out <laughs> the best ways to do things. But it's I, I think from a communication standpoint, there have never been so many wonderful opportunities to reach out to key audiences.
6: No, it's at- interesting. Also, the Sodexo is so well positioned <clears throat> to to kind of, um, because you're so, you're so you're spread out across the country. You do have so so many young people to really, you know, help use your employees and and the college students you're serving and high school students students to find what are the best causes and, like you say, to help them communicate the message for you. So many companies don't have that that luxury.
5: Yeah, yeah. So it becomes really, you know, reach reach the college students or or any of your key audiences through the work, through your work itself, and um, because, because and they certainly want to really connect
6: with other young people. They'd rather they don't want to hear a forty-year-old tell them what they should support. They they want to uh, somebody they can connect with on the same level.
3: Hey, hey, now, right. Jane. You know, forty is a new twenty, <laughs> <laughs> and not
6: the twenty-year-old. I 20-year-olds. hope so. <laughs>
3: <laughs> or is a new, you know, 17 will get you 20, so I'm going to say, you know, 40 a new 20. Please don't dress
6: like one. Do us all a favor.
3: <laughs> oh, I know. Uh, but, you know, but I, I agree so much with, yeah, I mean, everything that you guys are saying is so true, and I think if people take a step back and really look at things, you know, A, from an internal perspective from your company, what you're discussing, enroll your employees if your employees are inspired about what you're doing, you know they're your
6: they're your frontline ambassadors. They are going I to hang on to them for a while, right? What <laughs> they, you might hang on to them for a while too. It'll have keep them keep them around. And these and young people in particular are moving moving around so quickly that that's a big challenge.
3: Well, you know, I, we we kid around in our office and we say, you know, the the you know business on the internet moves at the speed of a click, but so so do employees move <laughs> at the speed of a click. And we're very fortunate here. We've got a phenomenal crew of people. But, you know, you've got to empower people and let them feel that they're making a contribution to the wealth and the growth of an organization. Everyone wants to feel needed. Everyone wants to feel part of the cause. And whether that cause is truly cause marketing or selling, you know, or traditionally selling product, everybody, you know, if you you feel like you're you're part of a greater whole and you're part of that bond, you're going to go for it. And, you know, I think that's, I think you both of us, you know, all three of you have stated that beautifully.
4: Well, you know what it is? It's really a refocus in terms of uh, how I always like to say is finding the soul Finding your soul as a company, or finding your soul as a brand—it's, you know, it, it is about sales, but it's also about soul. And I think that stakeholders really understand those companies that have a soul, and for those companies who don't have a soul, I think it now is the time to find it. <laughs> exactly. You know, it's interesting. I was sitting at a um, a dinner with a very very senior person in marketing at a one of the biggest companies in the world. And the exact quote was, we need to find our soul with this brand or we're not going to have a future. I mean, I think everybody's really realizing that what's, you know, society is, is looking to companies to be a, a good corporate citizen and to figure out what they can do as a company to really drive social missions forward or even environmental missions forward.
3: It's about identifying. It just needs to be authentic.
4: You know, it's you know. There's been a lot of cause marketing where um, companies or brands will just align to a nonprofit and donate money based on the sales of products or services. But you know, to truly be authentic and to tr- truly create bonds with your stakeholders and your consumers, it has to be authentic. And that's you know, that's why I like to use the word soul because mm-hmm. I think if you look within oh, yeah. yourself as a company and realize what competencies you have as a company to really bring something unique. To society, it's authentic and, it, and it's just really deep within the company.
3: Yeah, I and mean, when you can inspire people with soul to go out and do something, I think like that's the ultimate as well—not by a product, but you're inspiring them to do something that evangelizes the cause, but in turn evangelizes your brand. That—that that is, you know, that's like having a mil- you know millions of people standing on the rooftop singing
6: your praise with soul. But I don't think right. uh, buying a product and supporting a cause has to be mutually exclusive either. I think a lot of these companies would love for you to buy their product, and you know, whether you know, Mac Cosmetics, which is donating 100% of the Viva Glam line, which is, the, which is their top-selling line. I mean, it, it, it's helping to communicate their message, or you know, any company that puts, puts a portion of a purchase price to a charity, it's still, um, it still certainly gets that message out.
4: I think Brady, what, there's one thing you said that I think is is really the spirit of this conversation, and it's this idea of activism. And you know, I mean, I think for some companies that seems like a really bad word, right? I mean, if you're a pharmaceutical company, you certainly don't want activism because they're used to it on the negative side. But there is positive activism, and I think you know, gone are the days of companies just advertising that they, you know, that they are. Um, you know, focused on this, you know, nonprofit organization or this social issue. You know, today it's about how do you activate your consumers or other stakeholders, stakeholders around your values. Mm-hmm. And you know, social media really plays a lot into that in terms of reaching the right people to drive you know activism um, and connect it back to the company in terms of really being the hero and, and, and rallying all these people. Um, no matter where they are around a specific social issue, which, you know, leads to activism and also, um, you know, it gets more people involved, so it's just not the company trying to, you know, solve, it, solve a need.
5: Mm-hmm. Amen. This is Jaya. What, what we'd like to talk about here is to harness the activist nature, and we're talking about college students here mostly because they are our most activist audience at, at, at Sodexo. Well, we'd like to talk about it in terms of harnessing the activist nature of students for good, rather than because they they are activists by nature anyway so why not channel that energy mm-hmm. And give them something good to do. And with Sodexo's reach, we, we can, we've been successful. We're doing more and more things. We're trying more and more things to get them involved in hunger, for example, or get them involved in the environment and give them programs and give them causes and give them ways to, to get involved and stay involved. And we think that that's going to be great for the world. It's going to be great for our corporate reputation. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, it's going to grow them into adults who also care and who will use, socially their influence. Responsible. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And use their big... influence to, to, you know, um, change society, you know, to have a bigger picture than just living, living your life and working at your job. Which is
6: so, so. being the one that becomes the less warm, fuzzy one. I, I do have to mention you. Know, one important factor here is that you know we all, with the recession, or most of us, and certainly the, the luxury shoppers, you know, have a certain amount of guilt whenever we shop these days. And and young people, you know, the teens may have, may feel it the, the least, but the twenty somethings are very hard hit. People that don't have jobs, so they need an additional reason to buy something. I mean, it makes them, you know, it makes them feel better about themselves. It helps. It helps kind of counter some of this guilt. And, and another point I think that's important to make—that uh, it's kind of funny to even say—but. But, um you know, I, who's, who's to say you know, who, what generation is the most charitable? But mm-hmm. young people, it's very important. I mean, their self-image is so important to them. So even if they're, you know, maybe they're as charitable, maybe they're less charitable, who knows? But they certainly, the importance of, of appearing charitable and supporting a cause is even more important to them, particularly if it's, you know, a hot one and it, it you know, adds to their social status. So there's some other good reasons that, that cause marketing. I mean, it can, can um, really help a company.
5: What we're finding is that this whole thing, this whole area has to be more than marketing. You know, audiences really expect companies, big or small, to live their values and not just market their values and so it puts a lot more responsibility on companies to really be transparent in what they're doing as companies and really to examine all their practices and be sure that they're above reproach i mean trust in big companies these days is low at an uh-huh. all time low i uh-huh. think it's creeping slowly back up but but there's a reason that that you know big corporate america reached that state and audiences are fed up with with that and they de- they're demanding things from companies that they never have before and and to live your values as a company, I—I I, what we're seeing is that that's never been more important.
6: Well, one of the big challenges is, and, and I've been on both sides of this. As somebody who's got a publicist trying to sell a book, and it's very hard to, as, as everybody in public relations knows, to just kind of get heard above all the all the noise. And I think the mistake that so many people make when they pitched me um, on any kind of cause marketing charitable work is. It, they approach it very narrowly. They just, you know, they have a client that wants a story about their their cause and their company. And that just doesn't work in this. I mean, it, you might work and you might get lucky, but it just doesn't work in this environment where staffs are so small. You know, everybody's working on so many different things, probably covering different beats, um, that you really need to go broad as possible, you know, hope for a story, you know, maybe on the cause itself, you know, a broad story. I'm I'm fascinated um, for, uh, particularly where there's a the body shop, for example, does something on human trafficking. I mean, if if I were somebody pitching that, I'd be suggesting, you know, trying to get stories on the human trafficking issue and hope that the body shop can get in there and be providing reporters with as much as background as possible. Spokespeople in this country. And uh, just everything, you know, as much data as possible because reporters are just so, not that reporters are any busier than anyone else, but I'm just saying if you want to get heard and have something resonate, you really have to do so much more of the work and and expect a much broader story and be happy with a mention in it.
3: All right, everyone, this is Brandi Shapiro-Babin of WebmasterRadio.fm. You're listening to Cover Story, and absolutely and
2: positively make sure you attend. Thank you for listening to exclusive coverage of the annual Public Relations Society of America's International Conference only on webmasterradio.fm stick around
4: cover story we'll be back after this
1: short break Maximum exposure to over 70 million people in the U.S. alone. If this were a real PR Web release date, your website would have so much traffic you'd be tempted to duck and cover. If you have an online marketing emergency, go to PRWebOffer.com for 25% off. PR Web, the premier online news release and content distribution service.
2: Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the entertainment channel. Only on webmasterradio.fm.
4: Commercials off. Now back to our story. We're reserving a headline for you. Only on webmasterradio.fm. Here's your host.
2: From the official radio network of the PRSA, WebmasterRadio.fm presents exclusive coverage of the annual Public Relations Society of America's International Conference. Now, here is your host.
3: Our featured guest today is Rita Tatil, who has been working with celebrities for over 25 years. First as a director of uh, Speakers Bureau for a national nonprofit organization, then as a president of Celebrity Booking Agency, and for the last 21 years as founder and president of the Celebrity Source, Inc. Uh, She'll be speaking at the Public Relations Society of America's International Conference on the topic of celebrities as brands. How to work with celebrities and talent, where celebrity media and culture is headed in 2010. Welcome, Rita.
7: Thank you. Wow, I'm exhausted, too hearing all that. And I have to, by the way, clarify that I'm actually the moderator for a panel at the International Conference for PRSA um, that is also going to include Rachel McAllister, who is co-president of MPRM, uh, which is a PR agency that deals with a lot of entertainment properties. Linda Dorf from uh, Dick Clark Productions will be on the panel, and as will uh, Jessica Herndon from People Magazine. So, um, I'm really thrilled to be moderating that panel.
3: That's so exciting. You know, that's when I, my personal goals. Actually, is to be on the cover of People magazine for something other than murdering my husband.
7: <laughs> you mean you've you have been on the p- cover of People magazine for murdering your husband already?
3: No, no, no. My aspiration is to be on the cover
7: of People. Ah, magazine. I see for
3: something other than murdering my
7: own. I got it okay I yes, And I have to admit when you read that that little bio and you mentioned the Playboy magazine that that was the most fun For me to be able to tell my friends that I was in the October issue of Playboy magazine. I was quoted, by the way. It was quoted in Playboy no other way, but that was a lot of fun for me to tell people.
3: That is exciting. It makes, you know, it's it's good for a woman to feel sexy, to know she's sexy, but then feel sexy and and be told she's sexy by all of her peers. (laughs) Sure. Isn't it? It's an institution. So, first of all, how did you get your start in, in pursuing relationships with celebrities and marrying them to brands and events and producers?
7: Well, when I, I started actually working in nonprofit organizations, and one of my job responsibilities was to head up a speakers bureau. So, I started making uh, contacts that way and developing relationships that way. And when I left the nonprofit world and was looking for something else, a, a an acquaintance of mine had already established a company recruiting celebrities for charity events specifically. Mm-hmm. And because of my nonprofit background, he asked me to come work for him, and I, I said okay, and uh, I did, and it was like, oh my God, I love this. This is what I want to be doing. So I bought into his company, became a partner. That partnership lasted about three and a half years ago, th- excuse me, three and a half years, and then about 21 years ago is when I left to start my own company, and we, we do Coordinate celebrities and recruit celebrities for more than just nonprofits. We do for lots of corporate brands, etc.
3: Now, what was it about it that you loved? That was your passion point.
7: Well, I'm a very, very much a people person, and that's what this job is. It really is about engaging people and developing relationships with them, and figuring out what it is that's going to make them happy. From both the client side of it, when I know that I need to find them the right celebrity to match what it is they're trying to accomplish to the celebrity side of it where I may be dealing with a celebrity who has a reputation for difficult personality. And because of my actual social work background and degree in child that's development I, I actually enjoy dealing with difficult people because i find them a really interesting challenge and i usually don't find them difficult in the end after i'm done with them so i just love the people aspect of it
3: that's awesome and it sounds like you've got the ability to since you understand people you can win them over and and it is it's so good when you when you can when you can get that win yes
7: and the other the other part of it though too is that I found working with celebrities is both an art and a science mm-hmm. in that you need to understand from the science standpoint if you will that there's a, a whole set of Protocol um, and rules of engagement—that's important when you're dealing with the celebrity community to know. And the, 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 the art part of it is sometimes you have to be creative with how you make the ask and um, and how you get a celebrity to be motivated to say yes. So uh, these are the kinds of things that really I just really enjoy the challenge of. And and also truthfully. Um, I go to some great parties and events, and they pay me for that. So who wouldn't love that? I mean, hey, we all
3: love getting into a dress and having a good time. That's right, you know. Now let me ask you a question. What was, like, your biggest win, your biggest challenge on, you know, being able to marry a client either, you know, with a project and really come up with something creative that resonated across the board?
7: That's a great question, because the, the the first thing that came to mind is a project we've actually been doing for 14 years, and that's the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach Pro Celebrity Race. It's part of the Toyota Grand Prix of Long Beach weekend. It's an event within an event, and it uh, basically puts 18 celebrities against each other competing on a real Grand Prix course in which... Um, they're they're actually driving race cars to, to, to win. And what was challenging about that is that when I first came on board they told me that there was eight days required of a commitment on the celebrities part and the celebrities are not paid for this. Right. And I went, What? How are you? And go- the and they want a list celebrities, and I'm saying, I don't, you know, I don't know how that's going to be possible. And and are you sure you can't shave down some time? And the the problem is no, because they have to go through four days of, of professional trading. race car driving instruction. Right, of course, God forbid. A day of practice on in Long Beach and and uh, three days of race weekend. So we had to come up with other creative ways to get their attention to get them on board. And um, it was quite a challenge, but we moved that race. I told them that I wanted to move from their kind of C-level celebrities where they were to their A-level celebrities, if you would, within a five-year period because it would take that long to kind of get the reputation developed of this event and stuff. Well, it only took us three years because within three years' time we had um, uh, George Lucas, on board, we had Ashley Judd, we had John Elway. I mean, we had lots of celebrities. So that was a great challenge, and um, and I'm happy to say that we are still now attracting big name stars. Last year, Keanu Reeves won the race, and uh, we're very excited about that. Yeah, yeah, we like.
3: But well, what was it that you did? I mean, you know, celebrities get thousands of requests daily. They have their rate of which, you know, they, there's no reason for them to wake up unless they're getting what it is that they want and it's something that they would like to do. So what do you think that you did differently, you know, that, that really enrolled people into this program and, and evangelized it for you?
7: A couple of things. First of all, and again, it goes back to the art and science of working with celebrities. So from the science standpoint, we know that time is their most valuable commodity And even though this asks a lot of the time, we were able to, when people had certain challenges with shooting production schedules and such, we were able to work with them and the client, Toyota, um, to figure out ways how we can be flexible enough to still have Toyota's needs met, but also meeting the needs, the real-life needs of the celebrities. We also know what doors to enter for the celebrities because of our relationships that we've established over the years. Um, Even, you know, we have some relationships directly, obviously, with with celebrities. But we also know that because we're dealing with their publicists on a regular basis, and this is not something they're being paid for, and our relationships are strong with Uh the the PR industry, um, so it's those relationships that we have, too, that helps get the attention um, for this event. Plus, we uh, encouraged Toyota to spend some money and put together a really creative invitation, something that's going to get attention. And this was starting before email was really popular. Okay, mm-hmm. we're talking 14 years ago. So, uh, and they agreed. And each year, they they were they wanted to make the invitations even better and better. And when when you have a client that's willing to spend some time uh, and money in putting into the presentation that somebody is going to look at and take notice of because of how it's presented, um, I think people start to take it more seriously. And we also advise them that instead of these things being mailed, these invitations which are very interesting and unusual hand- should be hand delivered. Mm-hmm. So again, that's you know, these are like the science part of it. You know, these are just the, the, the basics we know about working with celebrities. But then again what we are doing also is that once we have engaged these celebrities and they see what not only a fantastic experience it is, but how well we take care of them, they talk amongst themselves and they tell their friends about it. So it's kind of virally, as a result of how well we treat them, virally those celebrities are then sharing that with their friends who they think might want this experience.
3: Which is, you know, a wonderful testimony, obviously, to the work that you do.
7: I like to think that, but the yeah. truth is also, listen. It you know the idea of being able to be trained to drive a race car in a on a real Grand Prix course right. for people celebrities who have the need for speed and that kind of a, a <laughs> adrenaline rush. I don't have to do hard sales, you know.
3: No, absolutely. But they're still hard pressed for time. They could afford to do it on their own and not do. No, it
7: out they in can't. Public. That's what's different about this event. What you can't rent the streets of Long Beach. And you can't rent other celebrities to have a race together. This is, this is a big event in which you know over 100,000 people fill the stands to watch. And Absolutely. they literally close down the streets of Long Beach, California, to um, put on this race. Oh,
3: absolutely. But but I'm also saying to you, too, it's sort of, you know, there's people who have fairly large egos and putting them in a hundred, you know, in front of a hundred thousand people and I'm sure it's televised
7: as well. Right.
3: can be a little scary to them to say, hey, get in the car, you get to do something cool. But you also may be embarrassed by like, you know, your biggest competitor in in, in the movie arena. It's
7: true. It's true. In in fact... I was. T- there was one particular very big name star who is an action hero. Tell us who he is. I can't tell you who he is, but I will tell you this, that his one of his people told me the reason that he cannot do this race as much as he would like to is for exactly what you just said, image-wise, he has to maintain that action hero top. Guy, you know, image. Right. and he, if he lost this race or really did poorly, that would affect his image. That's the first time and only time I've ever been told that.
3: right. He's like, I'm afraid to go over fifty. you can't make me do this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so, you know, let's move on. I think this is very interesting. you know you've got you, you know, do you find that there's obstacles um, that you've that you've seen? with the advent of social media, does that enhance you or make things a
7: little more difficult? Well, I wouldn't use the word obstacle as much as challenges. Okay. There, There's definitely challenges as a result of us being now in a 24-hour news cycle and everybody being a reporter out there. If you have a, you know, a, a cell phone with a camera in it, um, it's, it's, you cannot escape the public eye anymore uh, if you're a celebrity and you're out in public. So the challenges that are presented to publicists who represent celebrities are huge in that they are now on a 24-hour, 24-7 you know, cycle working with their clients because if something happens in the middle of the night... The news uh, with their celebrity client, the news is instantaneous and they have to be able to react to it on behalf of their client uh, in a way that is professional and suitable for the situation. So that's a big challenge. You know, social media has really presented a big challenge for those who want to be in publicity related to representing celebrities. Uh, they also have to um, hone their skills on, on crisis communication, mm-hmm. too, oh, as absolutely. a result. That's because definitely an area that has, you know, um, been uh, impacted in the world of public relations.
3: Well, absolutely, because you have, you know, information is, you know, it's not it's not the Kennedy era. You know, there is no such thing, fortunately or unfortunately, as, as decorum and saying, you know what, maybe this is something that isn't
7: healthy for people. But, you know, with with TMZ and all of the other people out there that are just, you know, looking for the best juicy scoop and negativity that they can. Yeah, that's those those days are long gone.
3: It's very sad, and information moves at the speed of a click, and these publicists right. need to be able to keep their finger on the pulse of what is going on, who's saying what, where. The consumer is becoming a heck of a lot more savvy, so they're having conversations about, in real time, about, you know, the, the celebrities. Now, I want to ask you a question, too. What about those um, celebutants? How hot are they? And how meaningful are they? And what's, what's, their, what's their shelf life?
7: And you're talking about the reality TV stars?
3: Not even, not even the reality TV stars, but you, know, you have a lot of people. Yeah, yes, I guess. Let's start with reality TV stars, yes.
7: I mean, when you say celeb you taunt, are you talking Paris Hilton? Are you talking, I mean, who are you talking about? Sure.
3: Let's talk about Paris Hilton and make poor Conrad roll over in his grave.
7: <laughs> you know, there are some people out there who are just famous for being famous. I mean, in in a, in a different generation, George Hamilton was one of those, and today it's Paris Hilton, uh, among you know other other people, and you know I think w- what happens is that you know these people become larger than than life people that everyday people um, can maybe feel a little um, bit closer to because. Uh, their everyday lives are being exposed there. You know, it's it's like we are a celebrity obsessed society, and celebrities are famous, and people who are kind of you know sa- you know quasi celebrities uh, are also you know famous. Uh, fame represents power and influence, which most people want to have, and Absolutely. people the public lives vicariously through these people's lives, and uh, and therefore they are influenced by them. They're influenced by what they wear, what they consume, what they think, what they do. Um, Like I said, they're larger-than-life individuals who um, we perceive as special in some way and... When there's an aspect of our life that is, you know, shared by a celebrity that's similar to our own lives, mm-hmm. especially with reality TV, it's not hard to perceive our own specialness, you know. Or to, you know, go the opposite extreme and say, wow, they, they are really awful. They have it so bad. Thank goodness I have my own life you being know, as positive.
3: Exactly. I think you made two really good points. I think in general it's all about the bond. Some people want to feel aligned with someone. Right. You know, um, so I think that's extremely important. So, Rita, I am so sad we are coming to the end of this interview, and I feel like we've barely scratched the surface. Agreed. What I'd love to do is um, before we leave, I'd love to talk. I'd love to hear perhaps um, a couple of predictions from you, if you, mm. will. oh
7: Susie right. or, let me look or, in my crystal ball. <laughs> no, actually, I, you know, I I think that we are definitely moving much further away from celebrity, traditional celebrity endorsements of brands. Um, I think we're going to see a decline of celebrity attachments to advertisements in the coming year. Um, we're moving away from more of the one-way advertising and commercials to more interactive, experiential, and personal touchpoint dialogues. So in order for for a celebrity uh, attachment to a brand to be successful, they're going to be need to be more authentic, incredible than ever, and in the social uh, interaction world of social media, um, I think what's going to need to happen is that we're going to see more and more celebrities attached to social media dialogues through um, social networking, Mm -hmm. but more heavily in the area of cause-related PR and marketing.
3: Which is so, you know what, which is so very important, and I think you made an excellent point because, you know, the consumer is becoming a lot more savvy, and I think they can differentiate between um, a celebrity aligning themselves sometimes with a brand vis-a-vis them aligning themselves with... Still a brand, but a brand that has that is doing good works. So everybody wins. I know you're also going to be interviewing, or you're going to be moderating, I should say, um, for the PRSSA, which is the um, college students,
7: right? And uh, I'm going to be moderating a roundtable panel of sports and entertainment executives, and that's going to take place on the Sunday, uh, November 8th. At, I believe it's 3.30 to 4.30, and I'm tweeting about it if anybody wants to follow me on Twitter as I add more panelists. So that's going to be a, a great uh, panel for the students.
3: That is so exciting. And to follow her on Twitter, you want to go to uh, twitter.com forward slash celebrity Thank you so much for joining us today, and we look forward to seeing you in San Diego.
7: My pleasure, and I look forward to it as well.
2: From the official radio network of the PRSA, WebmasterRadio.fm presents exclusive coverage of the annual Public Relations Society of America's International Conference. Now, here is your host our featured guests today are Kathleen Larry
3: Luton, MHA MSJ, Fellow Public Relations Society of America, and Stephen Seekins, MPA, Fellow Public Relations Society of America. And they are both co principals of Luton, Seekins, and Trester. Welcome both of you. Thank you if we can kind of lay out a very simple plan, you know, keeping the answers very short obviously. Could you could you talk a little bit about, you know, your reputation, let's say when something has gone awry and how to approach that? <coughs>
8: That's that's a perfect question because um, the the old language that is used been been used by PR people for years is building up, up a good reputation is like putting money in the bank or putting deposits into a reputation bank and when your company then has a crisis of some sort whether it's um, you know something as simple as <laughs> as simple as someone in the company embezzled and that becomes news mm-hmm. or a product that you have a product recall. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a healthcare organization, you have a patient who files a lawsuit uh, because of the way they were treated, uh, the public out there views that negative occurrence in, through the filter of the reputation it thinks you have. So if they think of a hospital as being absolutely top-notch, wonderful, great, uh, and there is a lawsuit filed, they tend to, to cut the hospital some slack and say, yeah, that's okay, I mean, that's a bad thing that happened, but it's still a really good hospital, <clears throat> and There was a case, and I don't want to be too specific, uh, at a major academic medical center about 10 years ago, where they had an occurrence that was very, very, it could have been um, reputation-destroying, involving a couple of babies who were switched right. to the hospital and the mothers took home the wrong baby, mm-hmm. And this wasn't discovered for a couple of years. And of course there was a lawsuit, there was hysteria, there was all of this. But when the hospital went back out into the community a couple of years after that and surveyed what people thought of its reputation and this, this surveying was actually done after there had been another mm-hmm. uh, not quite so dramatic, but another sort of issue that could have shaken reputation and they've gotten a lot of publicity, their, their overall uh, positive rating oh, by people wow, wow. in the community hadn't moved an inch. Mm-hmm. And when they were probed, people said, well, you know exactly what you just said, things will happen at any organization. You can take a big, bad hit and still survive it, whereas <clears throat> companies, for instance... Like an airline or a, a um, you know companies that people like to get mad at, um, if their goodwill bank isn't full at all, or people think they have a lousy reputation, mm-hmm. uh, then then one bad thing happens and everybody piles on. And I think poor JetBlue Airlines is another good example because there I fly JetBlue all the time and they're right. absolutely great. Absolutely. But there was that one disaster at JFK where people sat on the plane for eight hours because of the weather and they couldn't take off and they. Couldn't go back to the gate, and that got huge national publicity, and it's talked about all the time. And now you'll find sometimes people who've never even flown JetBlue don't know anything about it, but you hear something bad about JetBlue, and they'll pile on and say, "Oh yeah, they're terrible." So um, it's, it's, the reputation you build or shape really can impact um, you in good times and certainly in bad.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think the exciting thing is you bring up JetBlue, and it's such an interesting point. If I if I th- I think I'm remembering the exact same one that you did is. You know, they absolutely have the persona with whom they have, but they employ, um, you know, social media strategies they employ. I mean, there's a lot of they get involved in a lot of different groups and arenas and, you know, their turnaround and being able to listen to the groundswell, you know, put their ear to the to the ground, so to speak, to hear what people are saying allows them to say, hey, guess what? We did mess up, but what is it that we can do to help make this up to you? Because this isn't something that's a common occurrence. JetBlue is one of the only airlines out there that has, you know, um, TV and Wi-Fi and you know, larger room. I mean, people prefer to fly JetBlue than anyone else, and it's awesome sometimes it's awesome when a company hits something, um, something like this because it allows them to see how aligned. You know, their 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 clients are with them and who's going to stand up for them. And in this age of the internet, it's the greatest thing because your best evangelists are your customers. So not only are they paying you to board that plane, but they're also out there promoting all of the wonderful experiences they had, whether it be on TripAdvisor, whether it be on their own blogs or other so you know um, business things out there promoting for you. And I think probably one of the most important things is to have a PR professional who's tuned into all of those very important channels, able to hear what everyone has to say. And then go back to the client and say, "Here's what people are saying. Here's what they're upset about. And here's how we can take, like what you said, the 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 coin in the bank, and and turn that coin in, into you know a lot of benjamins."
0: But in a band, but in a in, but in a
1: management sense, here's the key point at mm-hmm. this at this juncture, and that is is that when the crisis happens, because most companies are going to have that happen somewhere in there. In their career, their, mm-hmm. their time frame.
3: Absolutely.
1: Happens, how effect, How effectively do you manage that? So, one of the things we counsel people mm-hmm. is, in essence, how to put together good crisis communication so that instead of letting something languish, you are on it from the very get-go, Amen. you are working it from the very get-go, you are being transparent with media people and the public, and so you are actually enhancing your reputation, yes. even in the process of dealing Brilliant. with a situation.
3: Brilliant. So, I
1: mean, that's a key, key part of, of the way we view reputation management.
3: Steven, can I tell you? Thank you. You hit the nail on the head. <laughs> right that's what it's about you know how to attack things how to handle things people don't want to see anything in black and white unless it's actionable you know they want to hear a human voice saying hey I'm sorry guess what I'm the head of the company you know it doesn't matter we're in my company things got confused it wasn't you know there was no intent of malice but I as the leader take responsibility for this but we are also now because sometimes things happen we don't we, we you know we can't predict the future you know, this is a one-time occurrence, and we're lucky that it's a one-time occurrence. And enrolling your constituents and creating, helping you to create a plan for it not to happen empowers them. It also and in, in, incites them to come back and, and you know, continue working with you. So I think, you know, you guys both brought so much to this interview. Um, Stephen Seekins, as well as Kathleen Laurie Luton, yeah, who are both co-owners, co-principles of Luton, Sinkers and Truster and will be speaking on the panel when a recession hits re- re- reputation matters, matters more than ever and you know anyone who knows me personally I always say the only thing in the world we have is our reputation personally or professionally so I'm looking forward to uh, that panel thank you both for spending
2: the time with us today
8: Thank
2: you. You bet. Thank you for listening to exclusive coverage of the annual Public Relations Society of America's International Conference, only on webmasterradio.fm.
0: Career success. With it comes a better salary, greater responsibility, and industry prestige. Increase your chance for success by attending the PRSA 2009 International Conference november 7 through 10 in san diego learn from public relations thought leaders as they discuss the industry's hottest issues from social media to social responsibility hear keynoters ariana huffington todd Buchholz, and bob garfield break down world events that influence business and affect you and network with industry contacts who can help you get ahead Log on now to reserve your spot at the PRSA 2009 International Conference. To register, go to www.prsa.org. That's www.prsa.org.